Welcome to the Property Funder podcast. I'm here today with Kingsley. Now, before we start talking to Kingsley, uh, if this is your first time uh, listening to the podcast, welcome. Uh, we're delighted to have you here. If you're returning, thank you for coming back. Um, if you're not subscribed, please make sure you like and subscribe so we can continue these conversations with fascinating and talented uh, and accomplished people like Kingsley, who we have here today. Kingsley, uh, could you give us your full name, uh, your uh, the business that you work for and your, your role in that, in that business? Yeah, Kingsley Wheaton. Um, I'm the Chief Strategy and Growth Officer, bit of a mouthful, Chief Strategy and Growth Officer at uh, BAT, um, which is, for those who don't know, British American Tobacco. And um, Kingsley, you've worked uh, almost your entire working career at, at this organisation. Um, it's about it's a, it's in the region of about 30 years or not far off yeah um, yeah do you think people are, are nowadays a bit too quick to move around uh and thinking about that grass may be greener on the other side it's a it's a great question michael really good um yeah i mean it's quite frightening for me it's more than half my life um which you know i don't know what whether that says more about how old i am or how long i've been at bat i can't quite work out um I don't know. Look, I think people have to have to feel fulfilled um, and, you know, feel like their purpose is being satisfied. And I always say to people, you know, you want to be running through the shower every morning to, to, to sort of, you know, charge your day and be energised. And I think if you can find that fulfilment in, in one company, then that's terrific. And if you can't, then you can't. Um, I, I've always said as well in, in BAT, and I, I think we'll probably come on to it, you know, I've, I've moved around the world, different jobs. Um, so I feel like I've almost had careers within careers. So although although my CV reflects that I've been with BAT for most of it, uh, barring a short stint just before I, I joined Rothmans at the time, uh, I've done so many different things that it almost feels like I've moved around. But it, it was, some of the moves I've made are probably bigger than people who have moved between companies but stayed, say, in the same country. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I think uh, horses for courses, I suppose, is probably my, my view on that. My understanding of BAT is 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 it sort of it's a conglomeration of multiple different tobacco businesses that have that have been acquired and and, and merged over over time. So in many senses, have you've effectively been you you have have you moved from one business to another? It just just under the same corporate umbrella. Yeah, yeah, kind of. I mean, I think I think if you go back, you know, to to its through its history, I think the way you describe it is absolutely right. You know, it's, it's sort of coming together. Um, it's actually a, a very interesting history that goes all the way back, I think, to 1912. And there was an exchange of British trademarks and US trademarks and then created American tobacco and actually Imperial tobacco is still surviving and, and ourselves. And it's kind of odd because we're, we're British American tobacco based in London. Uh, and yet we don't have much of a UK business. Uh, we were sort of born international. Um, I think more recently, you know, I would call it more like a federation. Uh, so if you think of the world, you know, we operate in, well, it was 180, but certainly more than 150 different countries. Each one of those is a sort of, will probably have a BAT subsidiary. Um, some are bigger than others. Uh, obviously, big markets around the world, US, you know, Russia as was, we can perhaps come on to that, uh, Brazil. Uh, so you end up working for one of the subsidiaries is what I'm trying to say. So I worked you know, variously for BAT Nigeria, for BAT Russia. Uh, and so, yeah, you're moving from country to country. But there's a common backbone of the way we 
operate and processes and, and so on. So it feels it feels like an homogenous company. It's it's a bit more than just an umbrella, I think. Yeah, and and uh, in in fairness, uh, I I, pro- I I I'm probably never going to articulate that uh, as well as you can, obviously given <laughs> your decades of experience in in, in that organisation. Um, well, you, you talked about the, the the various places that you've been uh, mm. you, you've you've been within uh, the BA you know within BAT uh, internationally and, and obviously a, a large variety of roles. Um, if we if we go back to the beginning, um, th- those those that don't know Kingsley uh, was a, a, a alumnus of uh, Royal Holloway University yes. uh, and uh, you know a, a paid up member of the Front Row Union, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, which which we King, uh, for for those again for those who don't know Kingsley and I uh, have been uh, good friends for for many years. Uh, I, I, as a as a, a you know as a latter, you know a long time ago as a rugby player I wasn't a member of the Front Row Union but I certainly was when it came to drinking. Uh, so uh, unfortunately uh, I, so so I like to think of myself as an honorary member. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, after those sort of fun days, uh, fun uni days uh, yes. finished. Um, so you mentioned that you, uh, uh, it was it uh, a brewery? Yeah. Am I right? Have I remembered that correctly? You were yeah. so you yeah. briefly. Was it Courage? You were at for yeah. a short yeah. stint. Good memory. Good memory. Yes, it was. So and how? So how long were you? Uh, how long? How long you were at Courage? And um, and and what what took you into Rothmans? Yeah, it's interesting actually. I I, I was at Royal Holloway, um, and I think it was the end of my first year. Like so many of us, uh, find ourselves thinking I better go out and get a job uh, in the summer because uh, the bank balance was looking a little bit thin. Uh, and I don't I don't know why, Michael, but I kind of like determined that I wanted to put a tie on. Why rationalise that now? But I think it meant not working in a bar or a pub not that I actually yeah. worked in F&B previously actually but I wanted like what I thought was a proper job and I went down to Blue Arrow in Staines as was uh, the temping agency and after a very brief stint at British Gas on the causeway working in answering telephones and gas transportation um, which was quite well yeah okay that was two weeks um, and then and, and Courage came knocking and they bizarrely they wanted a, someone for the summer and I don't know if this was a ruse, but they said that they're going to interview, which is very unusual for a temp. Uh, and I ended up working for the Courage Beer Company, which was the off trade. So, you know, um, uh, supermarkets, uh, wholesalers, that's that, as opposed to, you know, licensed premises. Um, and then I went back there every every vacation thereafter. So I, I must have done something OK, but they invited me back. And I, I almost did a sort of. I almost did a sort of graduate trainee program you know in 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 episodes uh, over over two or three years and uh, my bosses were great to me i'd fill in a timesheet so much so by the end of university i was doing work from home um so it was like you know pioneering work from home that that was, that was uh I, well i guess that was sort of almost not quite pre-internet days but just just in the early yeah. days of the internet so I, i'm guessing yeah. you probably weren't doing a lot of internet-based work at home no, it wasn't internet based, but what they would do, they would set me projects or assignments. And then and then because my dad was always in computing, um, I had a, a very early desktop, I think 386 was back then. Uh, and I was just quite unusual, you know, that in 1990, whatever it was, to actually have a computer. And yeah, um, yeah I used to write a uh, little known fact. I used to write uh, fairly complicated macros in Lotus 1, 2, 3. Um, and I remember uh, I did a project for British Gas where they were trying to get, you know, it's, it's amazing when you think about data now. They were trying to take, they were trying, they wanted to build a, a soft 
data front end where you would key in a soft front end and then it would pull through to a spreadsheet. Um, doesn't sound very remarkable in 2023, does it? But back then, building you know building a macro to do that was quite difficult. And then I would I would take it back in and I would give them a timesheet and I said I've worked on this for 30 hours and I'd get my whatever it was four pounds seventy five an hour or something, you know. So um, you know. Yeah, that's a, that's a story I've not told for a long time. No. <laughs> we we have although I think we have uh, we have privately exchanged messages about our love for uh, of, of Excel spreadsheets and macros. So um, spreadsheets are great. And then that, and then basically the long and short of it is that Courage invited me to join them permanently the day after my last final. So somewhere around May. 95 I joined them as a customer marketing manager you know I joined them as in quite a, in relative terms quite a senior role uh, I mean so much so that it came with a company car which is very exciting um, and it was uh, and it's important this it was a Mondeo GLX GLX which meant it had velour seats and different press on hubcaps it was very exciting <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, knowing how much you like your cars, uh, yeah. the uh, <laughs> that that distinction, I know how important that distinction would have been to you. Um, but but tw- 21, I suppose what you were 21 years old with a Mondeo. Yeah, yeah. that was uh, yeah. Pro- probably a slightly bigger, more powerful car than most of your friends who are uh, uh, yeah. leaving university, probably with a beaten up Peugeot 205 or uh, you know or yeah, or, yeah. or a Fiesta. You know, I certainly remember having to give a lot of lifts. Um, and look, it was. It also had a car phone, right? Think about that. You oh know, wow! Okay. Motorola car phone. Um, and I, but I literally travelled the company because I, country rather. I, I was, I was working in. You'll remember, Dino. There was this thing called the beer orders, where the where the breweries and the and the pubs had to split in terms yeah. of back to a number of owners to stop vertical integration, right? And um, all these pub companies that sprung up. Um, some of them will be known to some of your listeners: Yates Wine Lodge, uh, Grosvenor, Pitcher and Piano. Uh, and, and 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 you had a customer marketing budget which was allocated by barrelage. And if someone did 80,000 barrels, you might be, you know, the key account manager would agree £2 a barrel, and you'd have £160,000 of customer marketing spend, and you'd do account specific support. So I used to go around. And of course, if you were meeting anyone in the trade, you were generally meeting in a pub. Um, so I, I was doing about, I think I did about 40,000 miles a year. Um, you know, for that year and a half, two years where I was, where I was at Courage. And and what? Uh, so what? What drew you out of Courage? What what took you into into uh, Rothmans as it was? Yeah, yeah. Um, I have to say, life on life on the road like that um, back then was 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 hard work. I mean, it wasn't the reason I left, but it was. You know, it was it was quite punishing in many yeah. ways. Um, long, long hours, late nights, that that, yeah. that sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and getting up early and driving again, and you know, I don't think it was a very, it was particularly uh, great existence for your well-being. No. Uh, in the middle of all of that, by the way, courage got taken out by Scottish and Newcastle, so I went through my first corporate merger, which was quite interesting, and that and that heralded a few trips up and down to Edinburgh because uh, we did a lot of work with Newcastle Brown Ale. Um, because that belonged to Scottish and Newcastle, obviously. Um, yeah, and then, then funny, I've still got the job advert that I replied to, which was for, I think it was very generically titled something like marketing executives for Rothmans uh, in marketing week. And I, I think I always wanted to go international, to be honest with you. I think it was the international. Of course, this was long before the big brewers became big global businesses as well. Uh, there was no real opportunity with SNN to go global. Um, and I was working with a small marketing agency 
for project marketing who were affiliated to an agency called Bates Dorland. And the account director there, I remember going into his office and I was kind of like mesmerized on his wall was a was an itinerary. You know, in the old days on a dot matrix printer, they would oh, print yeah. out, you know, an itinerary. And it was sort of it was like London Accra, you know, on KLM or something, and then Accra to uh, Dakar, Senegal. It was a big West African itinerary that he was doing with the BAT person. And I just thought, that's what I want to do. I mean, I didn't think I'd do not necessarily the cigarette bit, but the idea of traveling and going around the world. And uh, yeah, so I applied for this um, this uh, job with Rothmans, and um, yeah, that's a whole that's a whole other chapter and another story. And um, but before we go into that, how in terms of the in terms of ending up in marketing, so you you ended up in yeah. marketing first in courage and in courage and then in and then in, in Rothmans. Was was it always your intention to go into marketing? Was it something that you sort of fell into and just found that you were good at it? Yeah, I think I think a bit more of the latter. Um, I remember when they when they called me for this interview at Courage, you know, they said it's for a marketing job, um, and I remembered that my dad was uh, entitled sales and marketing director. So I rang him and asked him what it was all about, and he gave me about three or four bullet points, which I presume I trotted out in the in the in the interview. Um, interestingly, I did actually write my um, dissertation on. Uh, uh, return on investment in uh, consumer goods sales promotion. You know, pretty exciting stuff. Uh, that, that sounds, actually, yeah, that sounds pretty. That sounds pretty related. Yeah, I think I think you'd quite like it. If I found it the other day, actually, you know, I think you'd quite like it. It was a lot of. I think there was a bit of calculus or something in there somewhere about area above a graph and all this sort of stuff. And <laughs> I don't know. And yeah, I think I sort of felt. But I, I I know I developed a love for it very quickly. I was very lucky that first stint in the Courage Beer Company. I worked for an amazing. Uh, customer marketing manager called Ron, or I can't remember the surname, but I, this idea that you could, you know, that you could create, you know, whether it be communication or promotions and, and put something on a shelf, and it was like your work, and then consumers would do something as a result of it. For me, it was just like, I, I, yeah, I fell in love with it straight away. Um, and then my mum still to this day says, what do you do? What, what, what is this marketing? I just, you know, and I always... <laughs> Hello, it's about this. I said, well, you know, you know, Weetabix, but cereal packets. It's like, yeah, yeah. Um, you remember when I was a kid, you'd save up the coupons and you'd get a free mug or a free lorry or something. Yeah, I said, that's what I do. That's marketing. And she goes, oh, well, very good, very good. And then she asked me again about a year later the same question and I tell her the same answer. Is it, it, it trot out at Christmas dinner the same expl- explanation? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, quite right. Quite after right. after a couple of sherries. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so I've got down here that your your first so is it ninety six that you 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 joined uh you, yes. you joined Rothmans and yeah. and I've got here I've got here I mean thanks to you uh, of course uh that you were quite focused on the Middle East at, at that time yeah. was that was that you based in London and and flying out to the Middle East regularly or were you or were you stationed out there? No, I, I, it was a funny story. They said, "Come and come and you know, uh, come and join us for six months, work in Aylesbury, <laughs> um, which was the uh, where Rothmans, uh, I think it was called Rothman, uh, Rothmans International something, and it was basically the export market. So it was that sort of Africa and Middle East, uh, and 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 you can sort of learn, you know, learn the trade. And I thought, well, that's very good. I'll do that. And then I think it was about a week in, they said, "What are you doing on Wednesday?" I said, oh, what's all this? Well, if you go and see this guy called Ian Muir, who runs the Middle East, 
uh, he'll have a chat with you. And then if that's all good, then you can get on a plane and go out to Dubai. And I was like, what, like for a visit, you know, for like a meeting or something? You know, they said, no, no, to live. Good. So literally two weeks, I think it was the Saturday after I've been there for two weeks, uh, I ended up on a on an Emirates triple seven um, going to Dubai, and that started a, a bit near fifteen year tour of duty, uh, never to come back home. And I, and I remember it vividly because I was living just down the road, actually, from where where I am now. It's like four hundred yards away, two four nine Staines Road. So literally, you'll, you know, near I then between I then yeah. and Rainsbury. And uh, I packed my bags. They had to give me an excess baggage coupon. I used to get one of these little slips then. And I had 38 kilos of luggage. Was was that, that was that your entire possessions in the world? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. Wow. I, I can't even. I suppose I didn't have to sell a car because I had the Mondeo, of course. So that probably got handed back. Um, yeah, I, do you know, do you know, I can't. It's, it's so. All I remember is I definitely had 38 kilos of luggage. Where, where, if I had any other possessions that I left somewhere, maybe, maybe I did. I don't know. And, so, and I flew out overnight. And Rossmans were a bit cheap, so they sat there in economy, sort of like, you know, this. And, yeah. and, and, and for our listeners, the Kingsley's not on an Emirates plane, you know, the, an, an Emirates super jumbo, you know, with, with all the, the TV. It's probably the TV screens were very different. And the, the, <laughs> the, 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 it prob- probably was a slightly different exp- flying experience then than, than it is now. Yes, it was. It was. I remember I, I had an emergency exit. So I had a bit of Allegra, but it was a bit cramped this way. And my... My boss uh, at the time, who's become a great friend, uh, and I'm still in touch with, picked me up at the airport. He's called Stephen Atkins. Um, and he took me to the office on a Sunday, and he sat me down for an hour and a half. Um, we had a bit of a chat. Um, he didn't know me. I mean, he, he'd just been sent me, if you see what I mean. And then they chucked me, uh, they chucked me my car keys to a Toyota Cressida, which uh, is not a great car. Uh, white with the red seats. It was the it was the graduate trainee car that sort of passed around. <laughs> uh, manual, which in Dubai is unusual. No, uh, yeah, correct. Yeah, and they said, right, uh, and it was almost like an initiative test. Find your hotel and we'll see you tomorrow morning. So suddenly there I am in a, in a white Cressida driving on the wrong side of the road, looking for the Holiday Inn on Shakeside Road with my 38 kilos of luggage, thinking, well, this is interesting. And uh, there, there you go. That's how it started. <laughs> Well, Shakeside Road in 1996 is a very different Shakeside Road to to the one we the one we we know today. So you, you probably had a bit more. It was probably a bit easier to find the Holiday Inn back then. It was, and it was right, it was right at the it was right at the at the dearer end of Shakeside yeah. Road. Uh, and then of course it went dead. And and I think the next thing you the next landmark you found. I don't even know if it was built when I got there. It was the Hard Rock Cafe. Um, and then you were in Jebel Ali. That was it. I mean, wow. everything else in between was was sort of desert, really. Yeah, it would have been very very different. Yeah, yeah. So. How, and, and so you're you're in you're in the middle you're in Dubai for for a few years. Presumably you're not static in Dubai. You're probably flying into the various regional markets, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, from from time to time. And then and then you move. There's a sort of westward move, but not back home, actually to Africa. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then marks sort of a what five years five years in in, in Africa. What what, what mm-hmm. took what took you what took you to? So I think it's Ivory Coast. Is that right? Yeah, Ivory uh, Coast first. And and so what 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 sparked that move to to the Ivory Coast was was it another was another forty another forty eight hour turn right I think we're going to move you to 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 Ivory Coast and pack your bags and off you go or yeah. how, how did that play out? I think might I've had a bit more notice. Um, I can't remember really. Yeah, that, look, it was quite interesting. The Middle East was great, um, and 
you know, I, I, I enjoyed, I used to go in out of Yemen, I used to go in out of Sanar and Aden, um, which was, I was, the, I was the sort of notional marketing manager of Yemen. Uh, and I quite liked that stuff, you know, it was a bit more gritty. Um, we used to have an expression for it often, it was Tuskers, they were called Tuskers people who would go to these places. And uh, a guy who became my boss later was in Congo, in the DRC. Uh, and he tried to get me to go to Congo. Um, and in the end, I can't remember, they either chose someone else or it didn't happen, I can't remember. Because I remember he, he rang me from Congo and the line kept breaking up. And I said, what's that? He said, oh, that's just the fighting in Congo Brazzaville. Don't worry about it. You know, he said, oh, that's quite interesting. Um, and I think I had this. And, and, then, and then the merger came on. BAT basically all merged with Rothmans. Uh, and they gave me a choice. And they said, do you want to stay in the Middle East or do, do you want to go to Africa? And um, I think I kind of figured, you know, if everything else is going to change around me, if I've got to adapt to all this change of now BAT and not Rothmans, then I might as well change everything. Um, and... Uh, you may remember back in the late 90s, Abidjan uh, in the Cote d'Ivoire was regarded as a really rather nice place. Um, it's sort of the sort of Riviera of West Africa. Um, so I arrived in, in August, having flown via Amsterdam, still remember it to this day, um, a little bit surprised because the Hotel du Golf in Abidjan wasn't quite like the um, whatever it was, you know, Emirates Towers in Dubai. It wasn't quite, quite the same, it wasn't quite what I was expecting. Um, and then there proceeded that year, which is a good thing we could talk about, to be the uh, Ivory Coast's first military coup. Um, so I walked straight into a military coup, basically, in Africa, uh, which was quite scary. What, yeah, what was, I mean, what, what was, very briefly, what was that, what was that like? Um, what was that like? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't really know. Uh, yeah, not, I've not had to, I've not had many guests come on who who you know who've walked no. into a walked into a new job uh, and and yeah. and had the pleasure of a, a, a government coup, uh, military coup, uh, yeah. not long after the, uh, their arrival. Yeah, it was it was it was shortly after one of one of my boss's wife got abducted um, at a garden centre and taken for a little joyride before being released. So it was it was getting quite sporty. Uh, when I say garden centre, that that's not. Um, you know, whatever, whatever that. I, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not picturing home base right now. It's not uh, home base. Yeah, I no. think it's roadside plants, really. Yeah. What I think. Um, no, it was around. Funny, I was going to have a big, uh, quite a nice uh, sort of villa in Abidjan with a pool, and it was nice. You know, it was quite a nice thing. And so, uh, eight or ten of my friends were going to come and visit. It was the Millennium New Year. Of course, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, I mean, Jez, who you know, was was was, was going to come up, and his brother, Ali, I think he met at the birthday. And um, December the 20, oh, I don't know, December the 21st, my boss rings me and he says, Kingsley, don't worry about this. He says, there's a few military manoeuvres going on. Just stay indoors and we'll keep you posted. Um, uh, and that that was the minute that was the start of the coup. And it was obviously the north and the south and whatever. And, you know, it was pretty, uh, yeah, it was, it was very strange. I mean, the, the first night of it was the worst night. I didn't sleep all night. It's the only time I've never slept, despite the fact I would like to sleep, because I, yeah. I could see a gunfire crackling all around. And, and your mind does really weird things, like maybe my, maybe the plot of my house is a vantage point, you know, for the rebels. I mean, it's amazing what you what you come up yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. We tend, tend to catastrophize in these situations, and, yeah. and 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 a lot of the time when you catastrophize, particularly in a commercial, you know, commercial context, yeah. uh, it, it doesn't tend to be life threatening. 
but I think yeah. <laughs> you're probably justified in some in some respects for <laughs> to yeah. be a little bit nervous at the time if you're hearing uh, gunshots yeah. ringing out. Well, it's good because it was an interesting thing. One, one little vignette, of, and, and, and uh, you know, short. I think we got out on December the 27th um, on a Swiss. I remember Swiss Air flight to Zero. I've never been so happy to hear the engines roar, um, you know, as, as, it, as it left the runway. But um, my boss lived literally just up the road. Um, and obviously, I was there over Christmas. Uh, and they invited me around. And, and you know, it's it good to know that um, a good bit of British solidarity that one way or another on Christmas Day, and I had to, there was a curfew, so I, had, I couldn't stay out late. You know, we still had Christmas dinner, you know, on December the 25th, 1999, despite the fact we were in the middle of a coup. I thought, I, thought, I still remember that. I thought that was quite quite a nice touch, actually. So, so it's, rather, it's rather surreal experience, I imagine, yes, in, in, in hindsight. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so was uh, so once you so once you uh, you hot footed out, out of uh, mm, mm. Out, out of Abidjan, you know uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking of the movie Fargo when they when they're out of Iran when they're out of Iranian airspace and the and the yeah, relief yeah. Si- the relief sinks in. Yes. Um, what uh, you, you you then find your way back into Africa um, mm. not long after um, into yeah. Niger- into the Nigerian market. Um, yeah. What was and, and what I suppose what sparked that? Uh, I mean clearly. Clearly, you've done something to impress the right people because they're continuing to give you um, yeah. these sort of international postings with significant responsibilities attached to them. Yes. But what what sparked the move move into Nigeria? Did did you feel that maybe the I mean, first of all, did you feel that maybe the that at the African itch hadn't been properly scratched because of the sort of um, mm. I suppose premature departure from from Ivory Coast? Yeah, I mean, we 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 came back to the UK and continued to do the West African job out of Woking. Um, sounds like a bit of a strange construct, doesn't it? Of course, we, <laughs> we used to fly in and out. Um, Nigeria was actually one of the markets in the West African patch. So we had a we had a we had a sort of division which was West Africa, of which Nigeria was the biggest market. We we quite often have constructs like that in VAT. Um, BAT was setting up BAT Nigeria, um, so it was a, there was plans for a greenfield uh, investment in a, in a city called Abaddon, which is what, an hour and a half north of Lagos, uh, and, and effectively it was it was a startup really, you know. Um, and we had to build everything, you know, from from the factory uh, route to market, distribution centres, yeah, I mean you name it, whatever. And, and uh, yeah, I don't, I think to be really really fair, I'm not sure there was a hugely long queue, um, and it's one of my great life learnings and I, I still say that to everyone in BAT the more you're open-minded about what you do and there's always a personal professional balance isn't there? I'm not asking anyone to go to Lagos then the more things will probably open up you know I suspect had I wanted to be marketing director of Malaysia at that moment I might not have got it but because probably there wasn't a huge queue for Nigeria it's like all right off you go and it was brilliant I mean four years there Brilliant. A very difficult place. Very difficult place to live. But I have very happy memories um, because, in a way, you know, the tougher the place, the more you sort of group together. And uh, it was the place where I knew um, the the country folk I was living with the best. So my friends were ostensibly Nigerian, which would be quite unusual on the expat circuit to make that statement. Played a lot of rugby with them. Started taking them to buy sevens on tour, and you know, I, it was just a, it was a great time. I, I don't think I'd go back now, um, uh, but I learned a lot of lessons. And one of the things you learn in Africa very quick. And actually, when I was in Abidjan, there was a there was a Kenya Airways plane, I think, that didn't or Ethiopian that ditched in the lagoon, 
Um, so I was right there when that happened. And then, you know, life is life is a bit or death is a bit close, you know, closer mm. than you've seen it elsewhere. And, uh, well, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's obviously very wild, but I suppose also you also feel pretty alive as well while you're there because it's, uh, you know, you, you you're seeing everything. Yeah. I, I I can sort of picture that it was I can sort of picture that it was a a, a very exciting experience, mm. um, you, you know, very probably very invigorating in, in a lot of ways. Did did you also you know you 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 went there principally as, uh, on the marketing side, but yes. inevitably did that did that tend to end up morphing into a larger role because of you know ultimately it, if you're if you're a useful capable resourceful individual yeah. um you, people tend to ask you to do things that fall outside of your your your, mm. na- your more narrow purview yeah i mean the marketing you know the, the country would be run by a general manager who was my boss and then you have a leadership team of sort of finance director marketing director hr director and general counsel and you know whatever it's quite a broad church in vat marketing it's sort of you know it includes sales uh, so you have what we call trade marketing and distribution is part of it so it's it, it, it's closer to a commercial role it's probably it's probably closer to a sort of you know smaller general manager than it is you know an out and out uh advertising and promotion person if you, if you see what yeah. i mean so yeah I mean, look, we we built a pretty pretty big business i think by the time i left we were making about uh probably around about 100 million dollars of operating profit um so it wasn't you know it was a pretty it was a pretty decent uh, business for, yeah. for the at um it's pretty significant yeah two things i remember one is when i first went there there's, there's no uh, there's no credit cards it's all cash and the, the maximum size note is 100 naira which was worth about a dollar so if you went out to dinner you have to take a you know, <laughs> cash, you know. and the other thing is no mobile phones the first year i was there no mobile phone we ran the whole business by i mean obviously by phone but when we were out and about by radio um so we all had call signs so i was call sign wallace wallace yeah. What, and, what, why, uh, why, was, why was that? <laughs> I can't really remember. Just that, really. how it came about. There was another one. The security guy was called Dobie. I, I don't really know why they were all called that. But the 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 the, the office gates was called Charlie Four. Okay. And uh, there was a guy called. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I'll, I'll half tell the story um, for your. You know. And and there was our finance director used to come in every morning and he would radio through and he'd say Charlie Charlie Four Charlie Four. You know, uh, open up, open up for, you know, open up, open up, you know, and then he would, yeah. then he would roar through the gates. It was great. <laughs> and you would hear all of this going on, you know, it was very, it was quite entertaining. Uh, so it's, it's a bit like sort of the uh, what is it the this what is it this the, those the the seaport but well, not the seaport radio the those uh, those uh, short yeah. short short wave short yes, band radio short band radios goes, yeah. and then you yeah. speak you know and then you hear of course you hear all the radio traffic you had your radio on but you know <laughs> my my apartment because of the security situation you had to live behind a a vaulted door right so you go to bed every night and it was like a bank a bank door that's the only way to describe it massive great metal thing and you triple lock it and everything and that was your safe haven because if, yeah. the, if the robbers got in then at least you would remain safe or, or so the theory went yeah i mean so i guess um you can have a really good time and you clearly immersed yourself with the with the culture there but at the, at, at the same time you're you you're you're it's a fine line between sort of uh heaven and hell i suppose in in, in that kind of uh, that kind of environment um so 2004 uh you, you leave uh, you leave the nigerian market to uh to russia which ended up being your your longest stint yeah. Yeah. uh obviously and and 
uh, you now have obviously you have a, now have a very close bond and close affinity with the country as well as a consequence of that. What 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 led you you know what 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 led you to to make that move and how did um you know and and what what did that role look like? Because um, that was clearly uh, then sparked the start of your sort of ascent to your your ascent onto onto the management board of of BAT. Yeah, um, I mean. I think things have changed a bit, but, but back in those days, you didn't get an awful lot of choice. Um, we had a, we had a the person who sort of did my role back then was a guy called Jimmy Rambuchewski. Um, and he would more or less say, you know, you're going to Moscow, sunshine, you know, and off you went. Big, I mean, big market for us, three, three factories, 4,000 people. Um, you know, 11 time zones, and we're just geographically vast. Uh, and I think it was a, it was a, it was a trip. You know, Nigeria was was brilliant from being a startup point of view. Really, Russia was one of BATs. You know, blue ribbon premier markets, uh, as was then. Uh, and it and it was terrific. I mean, it was you know three years as marketing director, three years as general manager. Um, I I reflected later that. Even mediocre companies were doing well in Russia when, when I, you know, particularly from 2004 to eight, you know, before the financial crisis. But it just felt like everything we touched to, you know, it's like you just felt like you had the minus touch, you know, we just grew everything, growing market share, volume, revenue, profit, cash, people, talent, culture. You know, it was it was like I call it the boom, boom, boom years. Um, and it was a very good time for Russia as well because the West was sort of leaning in. Yeah, uh, it was a bit of a sort of. Anglo-European-Russian yeah. sort of rapprochement going on, and it was just great. It was so exciting, and um, it became notable because we have a we have a brand called Kent, uh, which is not well known here, um, and of course the preeminent premium brand around the world, everybody knows, would be would be Marlboro. You know, at one point the the, the largest consumer brand on the planet, um, and uh, we overtook it. You know, we overtook it. We got Kent. Then bigger than Marlborough at a price premium, and that was like a that was a big story for BAT. That was that was one of those kind of you know I don't know one of those stories that travels. You know, wow, you know, Russia they've overtaken you know Marlborough with with Kent. Um, so it was it was yeah it was a strategic big strategic market, and it was great fun. And um, so general manager was it, it would I be right in understanding that was basically you were the boss, you were the you were the you were the top dog in in Russia. So yeah. You, you obviously had you're obviously doing some some things right. What do you what do you think you were? What do you? Why did they? Why did they choose to give you the the role? What what qualities had you displayed that enabled uh, that enabled you to take that position? Yeah, I think um, I mean in, in a way I, I got a little bit lucky because you know doing the trans transition from you know the marketing director job and getting promoted in country is not something that happens to many and when it does i think they're slightly more willing to take a chance because you've been there already it's not like you know so i, I don't i don't sure i would have been sent into an equivalently sized market as russia without that backstory <laughs> i think we've done some really good stuff when i was marketing director you know the kent thing happened under my watch uh, we, we, we had really good performance i mean i've, I've always I, I say to this day you know you've got to Got to play the game in front of you, haven't you? Uh, it starts with performance, uh, and, and and then it gets into potential. But you've at least got to deliver deliver the numbers, um, and and so I think there there was that. But I think I think more I think more than that. You never quite know. 
was more about leadership and the <clears throat> cultural journey that we've taken the Russian organization on, which I think, I think, I think without being at all arrogant, I think, I think I was associated with in a, in a big way. Um, I arrived in the Russian organization in 2004 and about two weeks later, I said uh, to my then boss, uh, a guy called John Taylor, who was a bit like the BAT version of Crocodile Dundee. Um, I said, I don't think I'm so much the marketing director. I think I'm the change director. And I recognized that, I mean, I mean, you know, the, the, the raw intellect, you know, of, of, of that part of the world is remarkable, but it wasn't being so well applied. They, they struggled with decision making. Um, so they would analyze everything, push a lot of decisions up, very hierarchical. Um, so we, we had to pivot to a much more empowered model, which is which is a much longer run way of leading in Russia, um, but ultimately better. And I think the organized, we did a lot of quite exciting things. Uh, we bought a yellow Porsche slightly accidentally and then said to all the heroes of the company, if you do great things, you can have the yellow Porsche for a week. Uh, that was an insurance nightmare. <laughs> um, and uh, it was funny because we, we, I didn't, you know, we bought this yellow Porsche, we stuck it outside our Yava factory because we bought it at the weekend, as I said, slightly accidentally, uh, it wasn't insured. So I had to stick a guy in a larder with a, probably with a Kalashnikov or something, sort of park it right next to it to make sure it didn't get, so it didn't get nicked. Yeah. And, uh, and then we spun off of that, this big change project called Project Yellow. And everywhere in Russia, there was always a yellow something. So in a, in a trade marketing office, there would be a yellow chair and the uh, best trade marketeer of the month would sit in the yellow chair, the yellow tie pins. And, you know, there was this sort of, Vegas. I think it was more probably more about the culture and, and the leadership. Yeah. I, I think yes, yes. So, uh, so clearly, clearly, you'd achieved uh, some some great outcomes in Russia, not only just to get the appointment of general manager, but then also, um, but also, I think changing the culture and and leading leading that business in in what sounds to me like a, a very empowering and uh, an exciting way. Uh, yes. And I'm sure I'm sure those of the people that worked under you were, were uh, and I know you, I know you remain very close to a lot of the people that are yeah. in that market. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm sure they, I'm sure they enjoyed working for you in that time. What, what, um, before I ask you about the next step in your career, I, I'm curious because um, I met uh, uh, through an introduction of your own. I met a colleague of yours, a former colleague of yours, Guy, uh, yeah. this week, and and Guy had done a number of different stints and tours of duty. What is there? Is there? Is there a specific deliberate logic around the international rotations that that, mm. that senior people at, at BAT do? Mm. Is, is 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 that deliberate? Is something? Is that something that uh, is done intentionally? Yeah. There is some deliberacy. Um, it varies, I think, from person to person. I mean, the way the way I tend to think about it is, you know, in terms of development planning, you know, you, you would want to understand someone's ambition. Uh, you, you'd want to understand that their view of their ambition and uh, and 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 our, and our view meets, and then you build a development plan, and that and that could be about getting critical experiences um, in new geographies. Uh, it could be about getting critical experiences in a market which uh, is facing some particular challenge it could be building a factory it could be a turnaround story uh it could be full of contraband and counterfeit you know, you know what i mean so it's sort of uh i think it's less about just that country that country it's more about what it's but you know you might go 
uh, multi-market where you've got a, a patch of smaller countries. Um, and I think the one thing that it does wherever you end up, and of course there's there's no one true path, everyone does it differently, is you, you build this massive array of cross-cultural leadership experiences. For me, if I was to say like, what well, one thing did BAT really hone in here is, is this cross-cultural leadership confidence uh, mm. and credibility. Uh, and, and you know that when you when you fly out of Lagos and arrive in Moscow and you're being asked to lead again, I mean I, I, I would find it difficult to imagine the more diametrically opposed cultures for you know a Brit to arrive and suddenly start leading. You know, so that, that I think that's what it creates. But yeah, I mean the other thing you know I was just remembering. It's funny uh, having this conversation triggers so many memories. Is although the operating language of the office would be would be English. Uh, you spend most of your external meetings being translated. So there's another skill that you learn is to sit through a meeting with your distributor or whatever, and, and it's all you know Russian English, English Russian, and it takes twice as long, obviously, um, and stuff like that, you know. And, um, and that's why I first went on TV as well. I went on a Russian uh, financial program, and that was weird because I was she was asking me questions in Russian, I had the wire in my ear, and that that was the translation. So I had to sort of look at her and listen to this English you know, translation, then try and answer an old issue. It, 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 bizarre, really. At, at the time, it all, it all felt like that was very normal. It probably wasn't. And, and you, you've got to, you've got to rely, you've got to rely on the your interpreter in interpreting the question correctly, and ah. then and 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 then and then uh, your response is being translated back into Russian. Uh, you know, uh, ensuring that what you said is 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 adequately being uh represented uh or yes. not misrepresented that's a good point and, and it did get i don't say it got me into some hot water but it, it certainly i was party to a couple of misunderstandings and i and i gravitated towards i had a corporate affairs director called alexander luti who was one of the world's greatest living men i ever knew sadly passed away a couple of years ago and i would get him to translate particularly for the big stuff because i really trusted that he would get the nuance of that translation right yeah both inbound and outbound and therefore for the big stuff I always went with uh with Sasha and he was uh anyway sad story but there we go well we we uh well thank you for thank you for sharing that that memory of of, of Sasha and uh yeah I'm sure uh those hopefully some people who who know him well will, will be pleased that he got he got a mention just now um I I, I was gonna I, I don't think we need to ask what the most bizarre uh experience you had internationally was because i suppose the military coup probably takes that biscuit but did yeah. you have a did you have any sort yeah. of real yeah. lost in translation moments you know uh which, <laughs> which which you look back on and laugh about yeah i've got one which i, I probably can't repeat um i'll tell you when i see you well, it's, it's a, a okay 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 it's quite well, a good one it's quite a good okay. one um i mean you know not i mean i went i met my wife obviously as you know who's russian a wonderful Julia. um not lost in translation, but we had a lot of fun. I, I you know, Russia's fast, right? I mean, 11 time zones. And, and I used to, I really wanted to travel. I mean, I went to about 50 different cities. And it's an amazing thought, 50 different cities in Russia. You know, uh, one of them was Norilsk, which is right up in the north. I think it's the, I think it's the second, I think it's the the largest city above the Arctic Circle or something like that. You know, uh, that was that was quite scary coming in in a Tupolev 134, you know, with the glass nose and no automatic landing systems so they had to take on board a, a third you know a navigator basically they would, 
with a with a paper map sitting in the oh, God. you know sort of guiding the plane in that was uh, but we used to do these tours anyway we used to do these things called they were they were affectionately known as the zigzag named after me and we were flying we were it was pretty nuts really but my idea was you could get to a couple of cities a day so you fly you fly through the night to Vladivostok which is you're almost in Seoul it's a long way yeah uh, probably stop in uh, North Sibirsk or in Kutsk or something on the way and then you'd sort of zigzag back and, and I would literally plan these trips with my sort of so that's what we would think of as the sales director and get the map out and just figure out where there were airports and then we would sort of zigzag oh and of course you're gaining time as you come back so yeah you could do two you could do two cities a day you do a morning meeting and a lunch with the local team and then fly on and that was quite entertaining. I'm sure there were some lost in translation moments on those those trips, but it was very, very memorable. Interestingly, my father, I don't, I don't even know if I ever, my father used to go in and out of Russia in the 70s, um, out of Munich, and then he would fly to a place called Navarinsky Chelny um, and uh, was installing IBM mainframes in the Kamas truck plant from 75 to 78. Amazing, isn't it? So I sort of felt like wow. I was walking, you know, a, a path that my dad had walked in some ways, which was always quite nice. How interesting. Yeah, very much following in, in, in his in his footsteps. Mm. Um, well, I mean, look, the, um, the, the experience, that experience must have been so eye opening and uh, and probably very satisfying. The the next phase of your the next phase of your career is 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 then effectively a head office and and you rising yeah. through the ranks and mm-hmm. do you, do you want to just talk us through the the, yeah. the the career progression after you came back from Russia yeah. why why you came back from Russia and yeah. why you were brought back from Russia and and yeah. and, and the next and the next steps thereafter do you want, do you want me to sort of go from there all the way through quickly or yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think I, I think I, obviously the potted the, history the, the potted history yeah yeah they brought me back I mean they they so often do don't they you sort of get you know, you, you you think you've managed to avoid it and then you get beckoned back to, you know, HQ, you know. Um, I came back as a, as actually there was a change of marketing director, by a wonderful guy called Jean-Marc Levy, uh, Swiss. Um, he wanted to build a new team, so I came back as a, as a global brand director. I ran uh, three or four of our big brands globally. Um, didn't really want to come back, Dino, if I'm honest. You know, yeah. you know, head offices. I think unfairly sometimes can have a view. You know, all, all, all the all the good stuff is out in the markets. It's a bit bureaucratic. You know, um, and then to my surprise, I mean, really throw. I really threw myself into it. To be fair, as well, and, and very difficult um, coming out being a general manager, big P and L. You know, three factories and all those people. So then being in a, in a sort of head office, you know, more like a sort of staff role. You might you might think of it. Um, yeah, I was just going to was going to ask because it's a very you know I suppose it's a you effectively going from running running a company in a country to yeah to 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 being you know just a I suppose just a cog in machine a cog in the machine so to speak yeah. a very important cog no doubt but yeah uh, well how 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 did you find that transition quite challenging yeah it was it's sort of poached the term gamekeeper isn't it yeah I, I I always thought it was state of mind. I mean, I saw a lot of people make that transition and fail, and indeed some people leave. I I think as a result of it, I think it's got unhappy. I I, I thought it was a state of mind thing. Um, and actually, you know, I you know I did what I think I suppose the one thing I could do, which was approach the job like I was a general manager. 
which in some ways is what people wanted. So I'd walk in and say, where's my brand P&L? You know, let me have a look at the gross margin profile. You know, you know so I, I, I turned into a more commercially basic role when I travel a lot, quite exciting. Um, anyway, did that for 18 months. Lo and behold, big surprise, the then CEO asked me to join the management team as corporate and regulatory affairs director. Uh, most surprised person in the building because I didn't know anything about corporate regulatory affairs. So I did that for three years, ran next generation products, so vaping and that sort of stuff for three more years. Then I was regional director of our Africa and Americas division for a year, so a big PL job, uh, and then chief RT officer from 19 onwards and sort of variously chief growth, chief strategy and growth officer. Since. There you go, that's the positive version. And um... Chief Chief Strategy, Chief Chief Growth Officer. Uh, in terms yeah. of the sort of the in terms of the hierarchy, where where does that where does that sit within the organisation? Just for just for for our listeners' context. Yeah, you know, reports directly to the CEO. We have a management team of 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 thirteen, I think, of us. Um, we have a Chief Operating Officer who is all the in-year delivery. I would call it. He, he has the regional regional presidents report through to him. Uh, and on my side, it's more about enabling growth. It's more about the enabling growth lever. So it's you know it's 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 reasonably significant um, and sits on that team of twelve or thirteen of us on the management team. And um, I mean, it, directly or indirectly, how many people sit under your sit under your purview uh, internationally? Uh, probably twenty twenty five thousand, I think maybe. Something like that. Um, I thought I thought for a second you were just going to say twenty five. Yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> it's a thousand in. Yeah, I think BAT is fifty two thousand, and 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 probably about half of that. It's twenty to twenty five, something like that. I think thousand. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, you must feel an enormously deep sense of responsibility towards all these people. Huge. Yeah, that actually is. It's a brilliant question. I mean. I don't know whether it was ever meant to be like this, but I sort of think of BAT as my second family. Um, I think that's what it does to you when, you, when, when you've been around for so long. So yeah, you do feel it, an enormous responsibility. You you end up loving the company, right? You you actually end up loving the company. That's how I would describe it. And therefore, you you have this yeah, you feel an enormous responsibility for the people. Your uh, your assistant Jackie, she's she's been with BAT. For, you mentioned she's been with BAT for um, more than a couple of decades. Guy yeah. who I guy who yeah. I met I met on Tuesday. Uh, he 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 was with BAT. Um, obviously had held very uh, senior positions in in, in Reynolds and, and in the Asia Asia Pacific region as well. He he said that he said that he was a part timer at 28 years or something like that. Um, what, what what is what is it in what is it in the water at BAT that uh, that 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 makes uh, makes people want to stay there for so long and in in a, in a um you know and obviously we t- we talked about long careers at, at at the very beginning but it's obviously very notable within the culture at BAT um, mm. th- that you that you have very long standing um, employee you know it, people are employees for a very long time. In an era where it's not uncommon for people to move jobs every 12, 18 months, even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a great question. I, I don't want to embarrass her, but I think Jackie's done 40, 42 years. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, you don't hear that, do you? you know, it's just years. remarkable, isn't it? It's just remarkable. remarkable. I think she thinks she joined the typing pool 
in 19, I can't even remember the year, I can't even work it out, 1980. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think there's two there's two bits to there's two cohorts to this, I think. I'm going to exclude the last five or so years. I think previously, great culture. And I'm not saying it's not great culture now. I mean, culture, you know, it, 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 our, our, our CEO bar three used to say, if you could bottle B80s culture, you could probably sell it. Um, and I think that was a very powerful statement. So I think the culture, you know, the connectivity, I think a little bit of the hunker down mentality, maybe being in a sort of, you know, controversial industry. Uh, it's like maybe in a tough market, right? You're in a tough business. And so you tend to stick together more. I always tell the story, you know, when Julia and I got married uh, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, 10 years ago, 10 and a half years ago, you know, half the attendees were BAT people. And that that had nothing to do with me feeling I must invite them out of the sort of, you know, they, they were their friends. Uh, so, you know, I think that, that that's, that's a big part of it. Um, and then more recently, I think that's been challenged because, of course, we're trying to transform the business. So you had a very stable state, cigarette largely only business, very high operating margin, you know, but highly predictable and whatever. Now, all of a sudden, you've got these new capabilities and you're trying to build new brands. I think that's slightly challenged along. It'll be interesting to see if any of the intake from now also reach those 25, 30 year milestones in 2053. Do you think the nature of the business is sort of that, you know, in in many circles, the, the business being sort of, quote unquote, social, you know, less socially acceptable. Yeah. Um, do you do you think that actually is in terms of fostering the internal culture has actually been um, has, it actually it's a kind of us against the world, you, you know, sort of siege mentality? Is that is that something that's fed into the, the culture? Why? Why you think maybe? Um, mm you have you had developed yeah. a strong strong internal company culture it's a great question i i don't think it's deliberately so but i i think that happens i do think there's this idea of sort of sticking together maybe there's something in the pre-selection there like you know if you're prepared to join a cigarette company it says something about you that might correlate with them being committed to that business if, if you see what it means it's quite a big step for people yeah, uh, there's plenty of people who wouldn't. I, I recognise that. Um, I, I also think, to be honest with you, you know, if I go back when I was kind of growing up through the organisation, I mean, put the category to one side just for a moment. It, it was a, it's a fantastic business. You know, it's truly international. It takes you to places. You, you know, you could turn up almost anywhere in the world, and, and you would find BAT people. You know, I mean, it, it, it was incredible. You know, and um, very strong on collaboration, very strong on very networked business. You know, we like we always like to think that we're a business with great process, and, and uh, we, we don't have bad process. But honestly, how you get things done is the network, you know, the phone. And so I think it breeds all these relationships, and and, and that all contributes. I think. Well, it, actually, that, that that point you make around network, which is that if you're trying to get international divisions to collaborate, mm. um, I can see the logic in moving people around the world, because yes. if you're having to have two pe people work together from do, two different regions or two different geographies, yes. it's yes. a lot easier. It's a lot easier to get them to collaborate if they know each other and hopefully like each other than yeah. if they've never met before. And, you know, there's that there's always and, and there's a sort of sense of distrust uh, yeah. or, mis or mistrust between them. Yeah. Um, 
we, we talked to you know i, I mean I, I i'm this is probably the most spicy question i'm going to ask you today but uh <laughs> I, I guess when you joined bat there was there was already a reasonably strong body of evidence about the health harms yes. that, that came about through through smoking and obviously those have only continued to get stronger and stronger um despite that you've obviously worked for the company for the last 30 years um i mean in the knowledge of that how, i mean how did you how did you reconcile yourself i suppose with that knowing that the at, at times the products that you sell can can cause harm to people obviously that people people do that now in the full knowledge of what they're doing anyway sure. but how, how did you um i mean firstly how did you reconcile yourself to that fact and then how does that i suppose influ how did that influence your motivation towards the ro your roles throughout your career thereafter yeah yeah i like the reference to spicy it reminds me of the, the kids homework <laughs> uh, and, and the different stages of difficulty. Sasha never wants to do the spicy, uh, but anyway. Um, yeah, no, likewise. Yeah, likewise. Whereas Evie, Evie is is very happy to do them all. You know. Yeah. Uh, and as you know, Evie a little bit, you, that would be surprising. Not um, surprising no. I I think I'm not sure. It, it's something that I'm more able to answer with with a rearview mirror. I, I don't know yeah. at the time, at 23 years old, whether I in 1996 I. I, I overly thought about the, the the smoking and health issues. I mean, I was obviously aware of. Them. Um, I think for many many years, I I I squared it by basically being a libertarian, uh, heart, uh, and a philosophy that says, you know, that adults, uh, as long as they're appropriately informed, of the risks, warned, blah 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 blah, and and we discharge our corporate. Uh, activity that may be marketing in a, in a responsible way, then adults should be free to choose. Uh, and I think that was kind of, you know, and I, I would still say that that's kind of my philosophy. Of course, that all changed. That all changed in the last eight or nine years as we, as we, as we start to innovate and deliver products that allow people to enjoy tobacco and nicotine with substantially less harm. Um, and I must say, for me. That's kind of supercharged that choice belief. It's yeah, I was okay with it, but it's it's even better to be able to do something about it. And and, and if we lay the foundations, you know, and and, and it, will, it will be on my tombstone because it, it's going to take a long time. But you know, that BAT reaches the point the point in the future where it sells its last cigarette. I, I think that's tremendously purposeful, and and I feel good about that, albeit. That I still think that adults have a right to choose, and there are a lot of dangerous things out there. And I'm not trying to compare them, and they are different. But uh, alcohol, uh, fast motorbikes, you know, there are a lot of risky things that adults knowingly do, uh, and they make their choices. Not everybody agrees with that, but kind of for me, that was always okay. Yeah, well, as as you know, I I, I share a similar view to you, which is that you know, then at the end of the day, people people are grown ups, and they do have a choice. And 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 in the UK where we live. Um, cigarettes are taxed very 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 aggressively and yes, and, yes. and and as you've reminded me on countless occasions of making make cigarettes make an enormous contribution to uh to the exchequer every year mm. so it's mm -hmm. um so you know you have to look you do have to look at both sides of uh, both sides of the equation but i mm. i certainly i certainly um i certainly have admired when i've seen you speak about it uh on on television and things like that um, how the the pivot of the business away from from combustible to 
other forms of tobacco consumption uh, is, is a direction, it's a, it's a direction that's really only heading in one way. Um, so on the back of asking uh, asking a semi-spicy question, at least by at least by this podcast standards, uh, <laughs> and, and, and our regular listeners will know that that, that was a, a, definitely one of the more challenging questions that I've asked guests in, over, over the years, but I'd be remiss of me if I hadn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you appear on uh, you appear very regularly on uh, on radio and TV. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Sky News, CNBC, Bloomberg, mm-hmm. uh, uh, BBC Radio Four. Uh, yeah. Those those are the ones that I'm I'm aware of. But there's you know I'm sure there's plenty of other international appearances yeah. that you make. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've 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 privately commented to you that I, I think that you're you you always deal with those questions in a very polished very I, I i sort of liken it to the, the most difficult questions you seem to using a cricketing analogy you seem to sort of flick it down to fine leg for 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 an easy single um <laughs> and then and and it which then begs the follow-up question if, if you can handle those questions you can uh you you probably uh you you probably missed a vocation as a as a politician um you, you can you you can answer that you can answer that part of the question second but the first question is um <laughs> you, you probably weren't always that you probably weren't always that polished and was there ever a situation where an interviewer got the better of you or flummoxed you in any way uh in one of these uh, in maybe one of your earlier media appearances yeah i wish i did flick it down a fine leg when we we're playing cricket as well as i as you said unfortunately you know we'll stick to media um <laughs> i think um a few things that not especially, but, but there are a couple of stories. I mean, um, and there are reasons for that. The, the first thing that I always say is, I mean, I, I think it comes across quite well. I'm very, very nervous. You know, I mean, uh, people always, people always, I do the sort of media training sometimes, and I always tell them that story. And, you know, every time I do it, I always get more nervous. Uh, and I think that's important because if you're not, then something's not right, then there's no adrenaline. Uh, and it doesn't matter, does it? If you weren't nervous, it doesn't matter. So I, every time I go on a, a TV interview, it feels a bit like being in the changing room, you know, before a big rugby match. Same feeling, you know, here. Uh, and I think that prepares you, doesn't it, for peak performance? Because uh, as soon as it starts, you're fine. I mean, I was nervous today. I mean, not nervous because you, but just nervous, right? Because you want, yeah. you want to do well. You want to perform, yeah. yeah. And I'm sure you 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 feel the same, and it's it's not about it, you and me. It's, 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 here's here's the irony. Obviously, knowing you knowing you well and being good friends. I, you, you probably I'm probably was one of the most uh, nervous I've been uh, actually interviewing uh, interviewing uh, interviewing a guest. So um, oh, well, yeah, so so you, uh, you you need to take that as the com- is the compliment that it is. Yeah, um, thank you, David. No, 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 then, yeah, so nerves. And what was the other thing? It was ah, training, media training. Yeah, that's the other thing. I, I, I say people say, oh, you, you, you're really good at that. You know, yeah, just a little on that latent ability. But I mean, I, you wouldn't presume to play rugby or cricket or squash or cycle and be really good at it and then just show up. You know, you would train, wouldn't you? And I always say that to people, you've got to train and there is no limit to that training. You've got to keep training, keep practicing um, and you forget. So you've got to learn new techniques. Um, but the first time, I wouldn't say you got the best of me. I did a the one with a guy called uh, Peter Taylor, who was a Panorama reporter from Panorama style program, and it was upstairs. It was the first time I'd ever done TV. Um, 
so was this like a sort of Channel 4 dispatches type? Yeah, uh, exactly type? right. Oh, yeah. So they're, they're really trying to like, you know, Mr. Wheaton, why, why do you, why do you, you know, why do you want to kill people sort of thing? Uh, that, that, that sort of question. Yeah, yeah. And he sat opposite me. We did an hour and a half end to end with no break. It's right here. And um, opens up with um, some point about the fact that, you know, our business was responsible for, you know, uh, you know, Savaging you know, society, and would I apologise for it? Uh, and wow, he asked me that question seven times. Seven, and of course, your media training has to kick in then because they 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 want you to snap, right? Uh, and you you know more defensive, yeah, defensive, and, and you just have to play this, and it feels very unnatural because you, you kind of everything in you is trying to give another answer. Uh, but you have to give the same answer seven times, and then he, and then he really, oh, he, he he had a he had something in his pocket, so you can't see him. I can see him, and I'm answering a question, and you can see he's already manoeuvring. But you don't know what it's going to be, right? But it's a prop, you know, it's a prop, uh, and of course that kind of is a bit like that. It just catches your attention. So, like, so you can see that he's got something in his pocket. They're ready, but, to... but you don't know what it is, and, it, and it's, he's he's just going to bring it out for a gotcha moment. Yeah, to confront you with, and you uh, just don't. But you don't know when he's going to do it, so you're con- are you constantly on edge that he's yeah, going to. Yeah, 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 exactly. He's sort of fiddling with it, and then and then finally did, and actually, interestingly, for, for this conversation, it was a packet of Polish cigarettes, um, Vogue, uh, which we made in rather than being in a flat pack, was in a, a sort of cylindrical kind of different format. Uh, yeah, and he sort of said, "Don't you think this is, you know, uh, appealing and attractive and whatever?" Uh, and we had a conversation about it. But but it, it was more the anticipation of what was going to come out of his his pocket <laughs> yeah. at some point. So so when he so so when he when he put, got out a packet of yeah. cigarettes in, in, a, in a you know in, in a in a quite nicely formed package yeah. Uh, yeah. designed obviously Vogue it's designed obviously for a more female uh, female yeah. market. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, you. I suppose was there a sort of sense of relief when he when he when he finally bought finally got the packet out. I think it was just relief that I knew what it was. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> you know, it's like oh good, you know. So yeah, but I mean it was uh, that was, and I mean it's still you can still see. I think it was called the Sec- the secret of smoking or something. Uh, it's still on YouTube, and it was uh, for a first outing. That was uh, that was pretty tough. I, I actually I think I'm going to dig that out and uh, yeah. and, and give that a watch could, just just to just to remind myself of your it would have been a bit again for for our listeners if you don't like cricket my apologies but uh, but Kingsley and I we do play a little bit of cricket together Kingsley Kingsley the coach and skipper manager perhaps manager is probably yeah yeah, yeah it, I try it's it was probably like I liken it to uh, I think I can't remember the name of the England cricketer but there's an England cricketer who who who, who faced the West in like that that sort of 70s 80s West Indian yeah. uh bowlers and just took just took blow after blow after yeah. blow on the body uh, that yeah. that's the image that sort of comes to mind when you're uh w- yeah. when you're having to face that level of questioning and things go wrong that's the other one the other one I, the things go wrong you know you're sitting there you know you're about to do it on probably a team's link or something i can't remember there's a cnbc one like that and the team's link just went down just went down it's like a minute to go and then oh. like, okay okay jump you know you're absolutely panicking you uh and they say all right we'll do it by mobile phone so you ring them on mobile phone so in a way that was good because at least then i was only on audio uh and they asked me three smoking health cancer questions off the bat one two three four 
And of course, they don't know that you've just been panicking and flapping around in your office. Yeah. Team singers, you know, and it, it's like, so it really, sometimes it tests you in ways that it's not just the content of the interview. You see what I mean? It's the preparation as well. Uh, we, we're obviously uh, we're obviously going to ask the, uh, the, the we're gonna, I'm going to ask you why 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 with all this incredible media ability you decided and as someone who's in, interested in politics you yes. don't have, you don't want to go into politics you, you've told me why but uh, you, you told me why but it, yeah for for those of us who've seen you who've seen you in action yeah. why uh, what what's your desi- what's the reason you didn't end up going in po- into politics given given the the skills and uh, skills yeah. that you possess in terms of being able to not answer questions. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I knew that then, though, you see, that's that's part of the problem. Um, yeah, I, yeah it's, I think, if, you know, probably financial. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, now, um, I wouldn't rule it out, but um, I'd love to give back. Um, I'd love to give back when there's no financial equation to square. So yeah. I'd love to do that even pro bono um, and give something back to, you know, GBPLC. Um uh, and I think the problem is now, I think probably, unfortunately, sadly, um, you know, with my with my career history, um, I, I think doing anything more, uh, you know, elected from a from a political point of view would probably be quite difficult. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, but, you're you're going to have people are going to yeah. sort of besmirch you just on the basis of who you worked for and and yes. and, and the nature of the business. Yeah. Um, but, it, yeah. That ma- that makes perfect. That actually makes perfect sense. I mean, one one thing that I've always uh, that I've been struck by, at least as long as I've, as I've known you, um, mm. is that um, you seem to be the you seem to be the public face of the of, of the of the company more often than not. Yeah. Uh, uh, which I found which I thought was unusual. Uh, unusual. Um, it clearly speaks to your skills and abilities as a communicator that sure. that the company puts you forward rather than a CEO or someone else mm-hmm. uh, of maybe slightly higher stature within the business yeah. was there is is there was there or was it was was it just due to the fact that you you're just very good at it or was there more to it than that i, I think um, yeah, you're right i mean you know if you go and see any public affairs agency we we, we work with one in the city you know they'll always say communication should be ceo led you know it would be 101 you know rule 1 um, that said, there are companies where the CEO has never spoken and probably never will, and they're very successful. So there are exceptions to the rule. At the end of the day, if you're a corporate, whilst I I always say, you know, if the CEO speaks, people want to listen. And if somebody says, CEO says phrase X, and that same phrase was said by, a, you know, a more junior manager, then it would, it's chalk and cheese different mm. in terms of impact. That said, what you want is clear cogent consistent you know narrative and, and communication uh, and i suppose everyone every company has to find the best way to utilize the talents they've got to deliver that yeah uh, absolutely um st- sticking with the theme of politics um obviously w- working in a i suppose highly regulated industry uh, like the tobacco industry uh, you you have to sort of um stay close to government uh, or, or people in government uh you, um, obviously, your listeners won't know this, but we we got to meet uh, a, a former U.S. governor at your at your 50th birthday party earlier this year, which means yeah. that you've obviously left a mark on you've certainly left a mark on on, on a number of politicians in a positive sense. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, given you you're you're, you're very well travelled, the who's who's supposed the most um most imp- i suppose the most impressive most well-known politician you you've had the you've had the opportunity to meet 
It's interesting, actually. I, I don't um, I, I don't meet as many. I mean, you know, the, the, the US one is it was was because he's now in a law firm. So it's, it's kind yeah. of a little easier. There's actually would you would you believe there's a there's a World Health Organization framework on tobacco control. It's called the FCTC. Uh, and there's a famous article in it. It's called Article 5.3, and it's it's often misinterpreted. It effectively says that politicians and tobacco industry people should not meet. Um, it, it doesn't actually say that, but it's often taken to mean that. So it can be quite difficult. Um, uh, I, I don't know about impressive. I, I had quite an interesting. I went to a place called Tegu Sigalpa. You're brilliant at general knowledge, Dino. You're going to tell me where Tegu Sigalpa is? Come on, a quick. Please. I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking Indonesia, but you're but, yeah, or Malaysia, yeah. something like that. Well, it's like Honduras, actually. Wow. Well, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. well, for one, for once, it's, it's a zero. It's a it's a zero for me in yeah, the general quite, knowledge quite, test. Yeah. Which, yeah. which for you is, is it, something. Yeah. I, well, um, I couldn't. I, I can't Google it, Kingsley. That's that. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, anyway, I, um, when we had the plain packaging uh, thing, uh, because Honduras is quite a big cigar uh, manufacturing uh, uh, country. But, is, is, is that particularly for the US market with technically with a Cuban for a long time Cuban cigars not being able to be yeah. exported yeah. in there? Yeah. And then and then you had a thing where there was a, a you know a, absolutely right uh, and of course the the point was that there was a threat that you know plain packaging which has indeed spread you know it's in the UK was going to spread into into the cigar market and that that was quite an interesting visit so. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I also went to the it's not so much about meeting. Uh, people, but um, I, I did actually step foot in. Uh, it wasn't the president, but reasonably in a sanctum at the Kremlin. Uh, I met a uh, sort of foreign policy Mandarin. That was that was good. And then and then finally there was a, a, a from a distance, say a distance. There was a there was an event every year called FIAC, which is the Foreign Investors Advisory Council in Russia. Uh, it was sponsored by Ernst and Young, uh, and either uh, President Putin or uh, Dmitry uh, Medvedev would, would chair that. Uh, and there was a massive round table, and it was a bit like sort of Knights of the Round Table. Generally, chairman or CEO level of the corporations would arrive, and they would sit at the front. And then as you sort of went backwards, people got, so, you know, maybe general manager of Russia, you'd be, you wouldn't be right behind him, but you'd be the next one, you know, but you were, you were probably listening and hearing a live speech of, 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 of the Russian politicians. So that, that was quite interesting. And, and I suppose outside of politicians, you you also have uh, have recently had uh, some 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 interactions with some quite well known people. Uh, I'm I'm thinking of a particular Zoom call. Uh, but uh, yeah. we um, yeah. you 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 have you have very close. BAT has a very close relationship with um, w with McLaren uh, as a, yeah. as a sponsor. Uh, it, it, and you, you you get on quite well, I think, with uh, with Zach Brown, the the CEO mm. of McLaren. Mm. Is that would you say that's one of the sort of perks of the job? Uh, you know, be, being able to sort of get involved in the, in those kind of partnerships. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I wouldn't say perks. I mean, it's a. It, I mean, look, it's a, it's, a, it's a great marketing partnership, and it's super exciting, and no one forgets. You know, time they first go to a Grand Prix or, or any time and you hear the engines roar and everything. Um, for me, it was it's actually a very interesting journey because, of course, you remember that tobacco companies were, were very, very closely associated with Formula One until Tony Blair 
um, stopped it in 2008 in terms of uh, tobacco sponsorship. Uh, and then we were out, you know, and we, uh, you, you probably remember this, you know, we owned our own Formula One team, uh, BAR. Uh, yes. Uh, actually, actually British American Racing, uh, which became, uh, it's quite, this is quite actually, became uh, uh, yeah. Honda, became uh, Braun, which became is now. Mercedes. And Brackley, where Mercedes do their, you know, their centre, was built by VAT. Um, so that's quite I, interesting. I, I, had, I had no idea. I, yeah. I, I, I was the British American racing. I didn't. It, it didn't. It yeah. never twigged on my mind that that, yeah. that that was the connection. That was us. And you'll remember the, you know, the Williams uh, in the eighties with Rothmans as well. So Rothmans were of course uh, very classic, and, and obviously our competitors seem to brand a lot of things with wheels in that era as well. So um, so anyway, going, going going back in, you know, on this whole new premise of next generation products was. You know, and actually thinking about it as a technology and sort of innovation partnership, uh, I think it's not really about sponsorship anymore. Um, obviously, you get the media value and so on, but, uh, you know, we, we had some, I mean, just to get a bit worky on this, you know, we had some amazing insights when you look at, if you take all the people who, who use our brands and are aware of the McLaren partnership as opposed to those who aren't, and then you take sort of brand equity reads of those two cohorts uh and i'm talking about fairly big bits of research here uh, those that are aware of mclaren have a, have a much better view of brand equity of our brands I and mean, it's fascinating so what i'm trying to say is it works you know from a brand building tool it's very powerful and if i say to you uh heineken zero i suspect the last time you saw that was you know on a on a formula one track and if i say yeah. msc cruises you probably say on a formula one track and you know it does create quite a lot of uh of memory and recall you know yeah, but but I suppose we I, I I remember not around the time you 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 were renegotiating the the, the arrangements with McLaren. I, we were talking about the the benefits of it, and in many ways, it's a the benefits are you've got a you're a company of fifty two thousand employees. Yeah. Um, in some ways, that actually it's um I I there's I think a lot of a lot of people mistake marketing as a as an external outward facing yes, uh, yes, yes. outward facing activity but the reality is that that marketing serves can serve in, in in all businesses so many different purposes so whether that's in on investor relations whether that's in sales but some of it is also about um staff retention and yeah. and making staff and actually making staff feel good yeah. and so yeah. i and I, I seem to recall that that was actually quite a, a big driver as well as in 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 renewing yeah. the partnership well i think you know it, 52,000 people, I, I think, you know, I think almost all of them, I'm not saying all of them, you know, take great deal of pride that, that, that we're associated with, you know, world-class motorsports team, uh, probably walk a little bit taller because of it, certainly walk a little bit taller when when they get on the podium and Lando or, or Oscar have a good day out. So, yeah, I, I think, and I, interestingly, um, someone I know, a guy called Keith Weed, who was the chief marketing officer at Unilever for a long time, uh, down on various boards, he said, uh, he said, I discovered the best way to communicate internally was to communicate externally. Otherwise, that was an amazing phrase, you know. So it's a bit, it's not dissimilar to the media stuff we talked about. It, even if I did it for nothing else, for those 52,000, I mean, they, they they take a lot of pride in that, you know, that someone's going out there and kind of taking the heat. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's good. Yeah, yeah, Operation Human Shield will, will, will continue, uh, will continue for some time. Um, I mean, it's 
I suppose with I suppose with with your role comes a lot of travel. Um, you get you get to go to some very exotic places, but at the same time, it, it's it probably takes its toll on you. Um, as as someone who's probably amongst the best travelled people that that I know, mm. um, how do, you know how do you how do you how do you cope with the with with the toll it takes on your on your lifestyle? You know, being in every other week, being in a different you know a significantly different time zone. Like how, yeah. how 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 do you physically deal with that? It's, it, it is tough actually, and, and you know, could do without eighteen-hour delays, as you all remember from last, <laughs> last week. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I sort of like the act of travelling almost less and less as I get older. Um, I think you, you know, it's. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you feel the same. Somehow, post-COVID, travel felt a bit different. I don't quite sure yeah. we ever got back into it in quite the same way uh, I quite like the act of sitting on a plane <laughs> that's all right but packing and airports and you know and all that stuff and yeah the jet lag is the jet lag is difficult um, I've started taking some help with with sleeping when I'm in different time zones uh, I think getting good sleep is good uh, I know it sounds really stupid but you know really dark you know darkened room cool you know, uh, and, and all the usual rules apply for getting good sleep. Um, and and try, I'm not very good at this, Dino, but try and eat well and and, and maybe you know drink a few glasses less of red wine. You know, I mean, uh, you know, we all know. It, 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 so the same rules apply, but they just get magnified, don't they? Yeah. I yeah. remember when I when I did the America's job. I think I travelled 11 weeks out of 13, and I was in and out of you know sort of an America's time zone. I was just like a walking zombie. You know, I mean, I would mm. literally get home. I'd barely unpack my little suitcase and I was off again. So I think a lot of, this again, sounds a bit you know, trivial, but lots of hydration. Um, and you know me, keep smiling, keep having fun, <laughs> push on. Um, and uh, uh, another thing I try to do, this is difficult, try to create an agenda that's not too punishing. You know, you know, we're not, you know, you, you go somewhere, you're jet lagged. Don't start at the crack of dawn. Don't finish late. I mean, late here. But you know what I mean? Just try and build it a bit of time. Mm. Have an hour's downtime before dinner. Then you can at least do some emails. So you're not stressed about that. And just manage it in a way. But I don't have any great solution, to be honest with you. No. Well, I mean, look, it's, it, 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 there probably isn't. I mean, just thinking about uh, that 11, 11 weeks out of 13 and look at when you were doing the America's role, what was it, 2018? Kids, yeah. Just thinking about that, the toll that that takes on on, on wife and, on the wife and kids as well. You know, that's yeah. it's, it's, it's very must be difficult for difficult uh, for the family, you know, when but when you're away. So it's not. Um, um, I mean, Ju- Julia is, as you know, she's understanding but doesn't like it. Um, particularly if it starts becoming back to backs, that, that, yeah. that never goes down very well. And, and also, you know, being being Russian and very organised, uh, she likes it when it's no note. You know, she likes a prediction. So if I give her my annual plan, then that's good. If I start changing things, that's bad. Uh, and now, and now, sadly, it's it's a little bit heartbreaking. But you know, you get ticky, me cry. You know, when I go to the airport and that that you know that sort of stuff, it starts to pull. You know the heartstrings, and actually, uh, one thing I will say, when I go through turbulence, I don't like turbulence very much. It's strange for someone who travels quite a lot. And when I'm really thinking like those dark or sort of turbulent, is the plane going to fall out of the sky? It's always the kids and junior I think about, and that's yeah. that mentally is quite tough. But uh, I don't think it does an awful lot. Other than you know, for a while, you feel it raises the anxiety, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I fully, fully sympathise with that. And yeah, I, I don't fly anywhere near as much as you do. But anytime there's any significant turbulence, it's definitely not a fun, fun time. And especially if you're travelling away from the family, it, it, it yeah. adds, an, adds a different dimension I to can, it. I could also do with, without planes turning around in midair and not actually arriving at their destination, as you remember. Well, that has well. that did happen. That did happen to you, didn't it? On a, and that wasn't that wasn't even with work. So uh... <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't don't really want to do any more emergency landings. Thank you very much. No, no. Uh, but I suppose, uh, yeah. Well, as as we've discovered, Kingsley, uh, as a man, as, as a well-travelled man, you, you've you've seen a lot in your time. So <laughs> that's uh, true. That's true. Yeah, with one more one more notch on the belt, I suppose. Yeah. Unfortunately for you, some of these things are like a slow Tuesday, uh, you know. So, and um, <laughs> I, I, I'd like uh, some of your some of your BAC colleagues have 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 given us a few questions that they like. Oh, they're, have they? Like, they're, they're That's like, sneaky, isn't it? Uh, so you you can thank uh, you can thank uh, Jackie for uh, oh, for 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 that. All right, certainly I can. Um, I'm yeah. going to ask. I'm just going to ask a few of them because obviously I'm conscious of time and yeah, and and, and, sure. and 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 we can. But I think uh, the reason I want to ask them is because I think one of the main reasons why i really wanted you to come on to the to the podcast was because um and, and as i've explained to you privately most of the guests that we have on this podcast are are, are entrepreneurs but not everyone is meant to, not everyone is meant to be an entrepreneur and that you can have you you can have an exceptionally successful career as you have had uh, without um without being an entrepreneur you know you, sure, you sure. success and fulfillment can can happen in your career just even if you're not your own even if you're not yeah. your own boss yeah. as it were yeah. sure. Sure. and so you know in many ways uh, you know you, you you as of all the people i know you are probably the you know the, the pinnacle of of achievement in in terms of going through the the corporate a corporate ladder um and so so and so i think a lot of our listeners a lot of listeners will relate to that because mm-hmm. because they themselves may not necessarily be sure. l- looking to go down that looking to go down that entrepreneurial journey yeah. and so and so i'd like to so the, i suppose the, the handful of questions we're going to ask and obviously we can ask answer it feel free, free to answer it in a sort of more quick fire way yeah. um so how do you go from being a functional expert uh, as in so marketing expert to be to developing broader business skills and i suppose within that i would uh, i would include leadership as well yeah uh quick fire go quick uh, quick fire quick fire experiences exposure uh you know get into the business get into and up the business and i think the recognition that i always say when you start at the very beginning almost everything you're going to do is going to be functional and technical you're going to do a job you're going to build backwards you know by the time you're the ceo almost everything you're doing is leadership so think think of that big diagonal continuum where you're doing less and less functional and more and more leadership um and Therefore, for me, leadership skills become almost uh, inextricably interwoven with developing more business skills rather than functional skills. So work on your leadership. Uh, and there's all sorts of good advice out there. Don't take it from me on how to do that. OK, thank you. Next, uh, a great answer. Next question is, um, how do you empower your teams to deliver? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think I think you trust you have to you i mean you, you really have to show trust and you have to mean it uh we've had some issues with empowerment sometimes here and it's when it lacks authenticity uh but that's not trust it's not abdication trust is it it's it's trust but i got your back trust but i'm the safety net underneath you trust but i'm here to help you if 
if you don't know, uh, and then create, you know, an environment, you know, it's authenticity of leadership again, isn't it, where they know that you're supportive, you're listening, you're helping, um, you know, and, and I think it's just about them feeling that, you know, that empowerment is being freely given. Uh, one little phrase that, that I have is, you know, treat others as you would be treating yourself. Uh, it's amazing the number of times you sort of sit in an organisation and people say, if only those people upstairs did something. You know, and I sort of look at them and say, well, how, how are you, are you, are you doing that to the, the people? Are you treating the people below you the way you want? You know, and sometimes there is a disconnect. So well, treat others as you would be treated. And uh, and I think you get the best out of people. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, resonates with me as a as a business leader, very much resonates with me as well. Um, <laughs> the point around around empowerment is actually uh, very, um, very pertinent, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, very pertinent for me at the moment. Yeah. Um, so so that's that's very interesting. Um, last last these sort of quick fire questions from from the BAT uh, cohort and then we can start start the wind down. Um, and um, what is actually sorry i i, I said like there are two because i think that's, that's, <laughs> okay. well because there's just one there's one question here it, I, it would be remiss of me not to ask it okay, uh, what is the difference between managing and leading uh task versus people probably i think you know leadership is uh, no, i can define leadership I, I i don't know if i really want to find, define management because i think people would get that leadership is about uh envisioning uh, enabling, uh, engaging, you know, it's 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 about uh, giving, you know, it's about it's about North Star, it's about ambition, and it's about telling your organisation where you're going to go, and it's about winning hearts and minds, and it's about seeing and helping them to see, and then making sure they're enabled, they've got the right capabilities and they're resourced and they feel motivated and they feel looked after, and you know, that's that's leadership, isn't it? I mean, what's the great phrase? You know, leaders don't leaders don't build followers, they build more leaders. You know, and um, that's great. I love that. I love you know, that. And, and and if you if you're fixated on that, then I think that you know that's leadership. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. And then the last of these questions, uh, which uh, it, it could be a quick one or it could be a it could be a long one. If there was one person you could work for, yeah. uh, who would it be? Uh, and obviously that you know your your pre your present your present uh, colleagues accepted. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that was a bit like the you know pack out the pocket moment, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It, was, was yeah. Like, you know, it comes, you know, um, slightly weirdly, probably a, given what we were saying earlier, probably a politician, okay. uh, and not necessarily you know a great politician. Uh, I think I think I'd probably quite enjoy working for someone like Boris Johnson, as you know, that would be uh, quite, yeah. quite entertaining. Mac Maggie, were, were she still around? You know, even even Tony Blair or, or a Clinton, you know, one of these. One of these big sort of, you know, charismatic, or, yeah, yeah, with statecraft, and and it's not really a judgment on whether I like them or not. It's more that I, I did know somebody. I think he was Boris Johnson's communications bad, um, and it's not for me to talk about that experience. But he did make me laugh a lot in terms of telling me about some of the stories of doing that. So I suppose if, um, yeah, it's sort of a, a politico where you would be entertained and get a view on something that you wouldn't otherwise get, you know, rather. I, I think that's what I'd like to do. Yeah, I, I could imagine. I I could imagine you you need sort of the patience of a saint uh, to to deal with uh, to deal with some of these these individuals, um, yeah. you know, because I guess when it comes to politics, 
sometimes the rational decision isn't the de- isn't the decision that ends up being ends yeah. up being taken right so that's right um, and you gotta so, watch them all the time you remember the was it was it was it Prescott or Brown with the, the microphone you know not switching it off and then uh, yeah, 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 Gordon, Gordon, Gordon Brown the the, yeah. the the bigoted woman comment yeah that's right and so you know if you're there communications bad or spans I mean it, it it must be just a constant nightmare to sort of keep keep them in line you know yeah, it, I mean, it, the the scary part is that the thick of it is uh, it, is it's part it's sort of part documentary. <laughs> well, it's almost like a documentary, but dramatized. Docudrama. Yeah, but it's all, <laughs> but it's but it's obviously a comedy. Um, okay, so sort of uh, fi- final final yeah. few questions. Um, this this is a question from our friend Nikhil. Uh, oh, wow. So um, he, he he asks, you know, you recently turned fifty. Uh, what's the most, you know, you, you look well for it, sir. Uh, what, what's the most important thing that, that the 50-year-old Kingsley knows that the 18-year-old Kingsley didn't? Uh, obviously, there, there's a lot of things that you wouldn't have known, but uh, what's what, what, what do you think the most important thing that you've learned during your life um, that you didn't know at 18? some level of acquired wisdom you know um, maybe I don't mean to say that I'm wise I always say Julia's 10 years younger than me she's far wiser than me but there's something about I think I've become much more tolerant and much more accepting Uh, and I think I probably grew up trying to get things to be the way I wanted it to be whereas now I think you know uh, I love you know saying that group of people we know or my friends at BAT are also different and, and I've come to not only appreciate that, that diversity but but love that you know embrace that diversity and I think that's a bit about tolerance and and, and you just sort of you grow up don't you you, you grow up and, and you start to realize what's important and uh, you start to worry about wars and not battles um, you know it's all related things isn't it it's all a bit about getting a bit wiser not being wise but getting a little bit wiser probably well, I would have thought that some of the places that you worked in, you, you you probably have to learn not to sweat the small stuff too much because there's, you know, when you're in, you know, when you're in the Ivory Coast and there's, uh, yeah. and there's and there's bullets flying, there's there's plenty that's not in your control. So the yeah. or or, yeah. or or any of the, uh, should we say, more far-flung places that you've worked. Yeah, um, it's, it's it's a bit. I was just thinking as you were talking, you know, you know, it's a bit like let it go, right? Yeah. There's a lot of things now I've learned just to let it go because. It doesn't really matter, you know. And yeah. then you think, and actually that drives you into another sort of subthought, which is, well, what really matters? And then as you and I have discussed many times, family, friends, happiness, safety, Maslowian needs. You know what I mean? It's not much more complicated than that no. at, the, at the end of the day. No, not not uh, no, 100% agree with that. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you, meant, you mentioned family, uh, you know, that you, you've, you, you know, uh, for the for the most part when you're at home i know i know that you're very you're very you're very you're a very close family and, and you, yeah. you try to do a lot of things together um what are the sort of things that you like to do outside of work to help you sort of wind down and uh, wind down and um you know sort of de-stress yeah um to be honest sometimes i just like being at home i don't so, yeah. you know, like being at home and i like sometimes just like sitting there with the kids so I couldn't even say we're doing a lot you know but that that proximity that I'm, I'm quite tactile as you know 
Mm. And that closeness is very important. Um, we the, the kids have started to really embrace cooking, so they barely let me cook, which you know I do quite a lot of without them mm. being involved, which is, uh, has various different uh, outcomes from catastrophic to uh, semi-disastrous. Uh, that's quite entertaining. Um, I, I love also with them things that I think are, you know, we're going to the pantomime on Saturday. Uh, and I love that because it lights, you know, I just love to see how they light up. Uh, and things that are, I wouldn't, not massive in cultural per se, but I like it when we go to the theatre and to museums. And, and I see this enriching. So I think, I know one of the things I, I love to do at the moment is now is, is, is I always love to watch the kids do sport. So apart from Fletcher being uh, going down to LWC two weekends ago, I need to be sent off one minute later uh, <laughs> to practice. Um, do as I say, not as I do, sort of moment. Yeah. You know, as a father. <laughs> uh, and then Evie, you know, getting very heavily into her netball and Windsor Royals, and actually that's quite serious. And I, and I just love that. And uh, you know, because eventually, you know, it happens to all of us, doesn't it? There's things that you still want to do. We get a bit older, you can't do them, so you start. There's some of that is channeled through them, and that, that's lovely. But just being together, really, and uh, that's great. Last last question from me, and. Um... Yeah. It, and, and this is a question around uh, around mentorship. Um, I know you had a or men- mentorship and, and people who are big influences in your life. You, you've yeah. mentioned your dad. You, you mentioned uh, I've, I've, you've, you've mentioned Alexander Luti, someone who you you were close yeah. with in, in Russia. Uh, Jackie Jackie obviously more yes. recently is being a, a big part of your life. Uh, yeah. But uh, but I know you uh, I know you also uh, recently lost someone who's a big mentor in your life. I mean who who would you say were the the most important influences in, in in your life um in your life and career um yeah, yeah it's interesting it's funny when 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 uh when i remember being in in lagos and i think we had a sort of mentor mentoring kind of training program you know where they introduced the concept and i'm a bit of a believer that, that i don't really like mentors with a, with a capital m mm. i sort of like them with a small m uh, and and that means inevitably almost everybody uh, an amazing conversation. I think I might have told you the story with a former FTSE CEO at the breakfast at Piccadilly. And he said to me, you know, he said, Kingsley, I've probably done, you know, I can't remember what he said, probably done about two and a half thousand meetings in my life or whatever it was. And I thought the punchline was going to be and half of them were utterly useless. And he turned around and he said, oh, I can probably count on one hand the number of meetings that didn't give me any. I thought, I thought that was amazing. You know, like every interaction, right? Every, and even if it's learning how not to do something, I sometimes say I've learned more from, from less good bosses than the good ones. Um, so lots of different people. There's a few people along the career. There's, when I was more junior, there was there was a regional marketing head who, who, who influenced me a lot. My boss in Russia, although he was mildly bonkers, uh, influenced me a lot. Uh, my CEO here in Canada, I worked for, influenced me a lot. Um, and yeah, and Brian. I mean, Brian coached me for 13 years. Uh, he's a trained psychologist. Uh, and, uh, if anyone's watching and you, you want coach, try, you know, try and get someone with real coaching qualifications and/or psychology, you know, because he understood motivation. Uh, and he, he was also someone who could give it to me, you know, right right here between the eyes. And, and, and I didn't like it very much, but I probably needed it. Uh, and then he very sadly passed away very suddenly. And uh, I was asked to do his, one of his eulogies, which which I was felt very privileged and honoured. And I realised that he'd been the most constant thing in my career. 
you know, bosses came and went, promotions came and went, jobs came and went, but at all those critical moments, he was there. Uh, and I hadn't realised what a big loss somebody who's not a dear friend or whatever, uh, someone like a coach could be at a moment like that. So that was that was he was he was hugely instrumental. And um, he used to make me take notes. One of his things was you must take notes. And after the meeting, you must send me a few bullet points on what we've talked about. But I've kept them all. And they, they make quite an interesting you know, repository now, uh, looking back of the, of the thing. And he said, you never get to the truth. I remember, I remember the first meeting at Great Foster's. Uh, which you know well and and he said you never get to the truth you just you circle like this you get closer and closer but you'll never it's like a vortex you yeah. never reach the, the the bullseye i suppose that's a continuous improvement sort of mindset isn't it as a, as a human being i think no i i completely uh, i completely associate with that as someone who's been working with a coach for the best part of seven years yeah uh, or six years that yeah that's 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 entirely the that, that's entirely the reality of it and um yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. You, there, there is no, there's no destination uh, it's just a, it's a constant journey so um kingsley we I've, I've taken far too much of your time up and i'm very very grateful uh and i'm sure our listeners are um you've been a brilliant guest uh and we'd be delighted to have you on again soon uh in in the future um for our listeners if they want to reach out to you uh and and thank you for you know th- thank you for 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 the insights that they've learned today or, or maybe have any further questions for you um what's the best best way for someone to reach out is it linkedin or uh, or, or is there a different way that you yeah, you I'd might go, to be connected with i'd go straight to linkedin I'm, I'm pretty active on linkedin um i don't access it quite as often but it's probably the best channel to find me find me quickly and um yeah, and thanks. It's been, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. We managed to get through an hour and fifty-four minutes. We didn't even talk about poetry, Dino. So there we go. I know. There, there you go. It's, uh, yeah, but, but we did get some general knowledge questions in. So uh, that's, <laughs> that, that's, 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 that's so that's very on brand. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, that leads me to say, is, uh, Kingsley, thank you very much for for joining us. Um, I, I've been Michael Dean. This is Property Funder podcast, and uh, we'll we'll speak to you again soon on the next one. Thank you, Mike. Cheers. Bye-bye. A big thank you goes out to the official sponsor of the Property Funder podcast, Avonmore Capital, a property bridging and development lender located here in London. They, as much as me, understand the importance of somebody's story and how they got to where they are. Lending on projects from just £250,000 across the entirety of England and Wales, their understanding of all development backgrounds and can help support you at any stage in a scheme even if you just have one brick down visit www.avonmorecapital.com to find out more about how they can help you in your development journey thanks so much for tuning into this podcast i hope you can go away having learned something new and even picked up some new things to apply to your day today catch us in the next episode for another interesting story